The Trouble with Transformation, a serialized podcast by Alison Witt. Chapter 37, Slightly Out of Hand. The fancy lady, her daughter, and the seal-suited man with the sleight of hand went to catch a plane. As they walked through the tunnel to the plane's open mouth, the daughter had the sense this was no ordinary trip. Not like the family holiday to Phuket, not like the time she and her mother had flown to the Canary Islands to meet her beat-making dad on the beach. Where are we going? The daughter asked her mother as they approached the uniform smiles, poised to greet them. The fancy lady wasn't one to wallow in misery. She put on a bright face and said, Sometimes in your life, you find yourself at a crossroad. You look left, you look right, and you must decide. There's no turning back the way you came. That road, the road you knew so well, has vanished. So here we are. The seal-suited man smiled thinly and added, My dear, your mother and you have two choices. On the left is a path deceptively similar to that from whence you've come. But you mustn't be fooled. The old path is gone, and this is the new. It is similar enough to the old to hold some comfort, but it is missing key ingredients. You may never find it truly satisfying. Furthermore, new ingredients have been added, ones you may find downright distasteful. On the right is territory unknown, filled with new faces and unfamiliar landscape. It is daunting to tread an unworn road, but there is opportunity too. You can shape this life to be your own. You will always carry with you the things you collected on that original pathway. But this is the beginning of your journey, and your mother is not so very far into hers. You are young and bright and curious. Excellent tools for a fresh start. As the young daughter reached the threshold, the fancy lady squeezed her hand. The uniformed people with the big smiles greeted her and fussed. Above her, the seal-suited man reached into the empty air and pulled out a paper flower. When she looked closer, she saw it was folded out of her boarding pass. It's a lotus, the seal-suited man said, placing the flower in the young girl's hands. To take into your new beginning. The man reached into the air with his other hand, and in it there magically appeared a paper bag. This, he said, is a Sicilian lemon curd muffin. For you, in case you get hungry. Betty wasn't kidding. She would have chatted right through till dawn if I'd let her. But sometime around 2am, I muttered something vaguely resembling, go to sleep, then crawled into bed. Sleep should have come fast. I wanted it to, but my brain kept role-playing all the possible permutations the morning's events might bring. Tweaking and refining, I played and reset until I had my plan down pat. When I finally fell into a restless doze, I was plagued by images of you. A mashup of memories, garishly lit and tainted, your smile, razor sharp and treacherous, a mask ripped off. The staircase of our Devon home, distorted, 
and plunging precariously down into darkness. Something tugged at the edge of my consciousness, trying to pull me out of the nightmare. I grabbed a fistful of doona and pulled it up around my neck. The tug grew more insistent. A hand clapped onto my shoulder, gently rocking. Gee! Hey, gee! Wake up! It was only a whisper, but an inch from my ear, I awoke with a startle. My eyes popped open, and I vaulted upright. Danny was kneeling next to the bed. Come on, lazy lump, he grinned, yanking impatiently at the covers. You're missing all the fun. Very funny, I grumbled. My eyes, adjusting to the gloom, were greeted by unfamiliar shapes and, oh, those freaky unicorns. I remembered. I was at the Janssen's. What's happening? What time is it? It's 4am, Danny replied, as if waking me at that hour was the most natural thing in the world. I turned and propped onto one elbow, squinting at him through narrowed, sleep-gritty eyes. If you're serious, and it really is 4am, then you'd better be telling me you've got Terry's machine working, otherwise you're dead meat. Got Terry's machine working. I sat up. Really? Yes. At least we think so. I grimaced. You think so? He hastily added. We're as sure as we can be without testing the thing. You told us not to. He didn't need to say more. I slipped a dressing gown over the pyjamas Betty had loaned me and followed Danny, padding down the hall, barefoot. Should we wake Betty too? I asked as we passed by her room. No need. She's already down at the lab. She joined us at about 2am, said she couldn't sleep. I thought about all the things we talked about last night, Betty and me. Dr Wilson's murder, Mr Makepeace, your disappearance off Brighton Beach. No wonder she couldn't sleep. To Danny, I said. Must have been the ice cream. That girl went crazy with the mix-ins. I raised my eyebrows emphatically, loaded with colourings. Too many E numbers. Mr J was waiting for us at the lab entrance, bouncing up and down on the balls of his feet like an Olympic sprinter, waiting to charge out of the blocks. He ushered us in. We've done it. This is the moment we've all been working towards. I raised my eyebrows and glared. From where I was standing, This moment was a far cry from what I'd been working towards. Mr. Bell and Mr. Jansen were taking away my one shot at liberating you. Danny registered my mutinous expression and whispered, Come on, G. Let's not get into this right now. Let's just see if it works first. I smiled at him through gritted teeth. You're right, of course. With defiant eyes, I added, Promise I'll behave. He scrutinised me from behind pursed lips, then shook his head and sighed. Come on then, he muttered. Mr Jansen, too impatient to wait, was already in the rear lab, waving at us to hurry up. When we entered the room, I was surprised to find Mr Bell already there. Along with Betty, he was gearing up in lab coat and goggles, standing by the machine. Underneath her lab coat, Betty was still dressed in her pyjamas, hair sticking in all directions. But Mr B, curse his dry-cleaned heart, was looking as smart as always. The legs of his trousers draped neatly from the hem of his coat, not a wrinkle in sight. Early start for you, Mr B, I said. You must be keen to get your hands on that machine. Mr Bell's tone was mild. Now, Ginger, 
You know quite well my job has me working all hours of the day. So when it comes to keeping you safe, I'm happy to do it. Although, I must confess, I'll feel a lot better once all this nonsense is over. Right then, said Mr J, bouncing on his toes. Shall we pick up where we left off? Betty? Betty held out the same block of butter we had planned to use last night, before we were interrupted by Mr Bell. She locked eyes with me, gave a small nod, then placed the butter in my palm. So we're still doing butter into deep fried ice cream? I balanced the slab of butter in my hand. I take it the honour's still mine. Mr Jansen smiled generously. Of course. Your magnificent machine had lost some weight since yesterday. The great tokamak beast, with its pulsing conduits and neon lights, had been put to rest in a corner under a necessarily generous white sheet. The steady radiance of a small luminous green LED was the only bling remaining on the device. As Mr J's fingers flew across the keyboard, I watched him with resentful eyes. This was his moment, not mine. He just wanted to see the machine in action. He'd already forgotten about you and the real reason why we were doing this. Under my skin, my blood was on fire, my throat burning. On the outside, I smiled. It was a smile with a cutting edge, but the smoothest I could manage. I ceremoniously nudged the block of butter into place, and the hatch snapped shut. Ready? I said. Everyone moved to pull their safety goggles into place. I punched the red button and quickly scooted back from the controls, into line with the others. Mr Jansen didn't take his eyes off the machine. A shrill noise, like an aeroplane propeller ticking over, built to an ear-splitting crescendo. We clapped our hands to the side of our ears for fear of going deaf. There was a brilliant blue flash of light, then silence. Betty was the first to peel her hands from her ears. Did we do it? There's only one way to find out, I said. Before anyone else could volunteer or offer words of warning, I skipped across the room and reached into the little black box. Oh, I said, pulling my hand back sharply. Oh no. I stood up and shoved my hands into the pockets of Betty's dressing gown. I looked over and met Mr Jansen's eyes. What is it? He said, striding over to see for himself. Mr J didn't wait for an invitation. He reached into the machine's hatch with his giant hand and withdrew its contents. The others, Danny, Betty, Mr Bell, leaned forward, straining to see. Mr Jansen flipped over his hand and there on his palm was a rectangular prism of Devondale butter. Mr Jansen's shoulders sagged. It didn't work, he said. It's just plain old butter, same as what we started with. Gah! He snatched up a pen and launched it at the wall. It shattered into a dozen fragments. We stared at the splinters of plastic on the floor, glanced awkwardly at each other, then looked away. Danny spoke first. Well, you did your best, he said softly. Thanks for trying. His face was red splotched, and he was doing that fast blinking thing he does when he's trying not to cry. Betty was crying. By comparison, Mr Bell seemed almost cheerful. His mutinous teeth kept pushing through his lips, coffee-stained incisors flashing in neon triumph. Mr Jansen didn't notice. 
He pulled a minivac from the wall, aimed it at the broken pen pieces, and sucked them up with a decisive swoop. Then he replaced the appliance back on its hook. We've still got an hour or so before you have to leave for the science fair, he said. I'm sure with a little tweaking we could get it sorted in no time. More like half an hour, factoring in time to get dressed, I said, pointing at the lab clock, which read 4.45am. My eyes flashed as I added, And why bother anyway? We're not taking the machine with us. Don't you think it's better this way? I won't feel so bad about leaving it behind, knowing we couldn't get it to work in the first place. Mr Jansen cleared his voice, but before he could protest, Mr Bell stepped in. I hate to say it, said Mr Bell, but I'm also somewhat relieved. That thing is a lot less dangerous if it doesn't work. Worst case scenario, if someone did happen to get their hands on it, they'll have one devil of a challenge trying to get it to function without Terry's notes. Speaking of which, what are you planning on doing with those? Mr Jansen gestured at the loose pages of Terry's notebook splayed across the lab benchtop. I intend on burning them. Right now, actually. I can't very well risk taking them with me in case someone does intercept the machine in transit. It would be like handing them the codes to activate a nuclear bomb. But, Mr Jansen spluttered. Terry's life's work. It's all that's left of it. I'm sorry, Jansen, but I have my instructions. I don't involve myself with trying to influence Terry's decisions. My job is simply to carry out his orders, and this is his wish. Mr J threw his hands up, huffing out a loud sigh. Fine, I can see there's no sense in arguing with you, but do me a favour, Belle. Don't rub salt into the wound by burning it in front of me. I can see you eyeing my Bunsen burners over there. I watched their banter with detached curiosity. They'd already taken the machine away from me. It didn't matter what happened to your notes now. When Mr Bell didn't reply, Mr J opened the kitchen intercom. Margaret, I'm sending Bell your way. He needs to use the fireplace. Mrs Blanche's confused reply crackled through the speakers. But it's 35 degrees outside already. The air conditioners are working full tilt. He'll only need it for five minutes. We just need to dispose of some confidential information. I'm sending him along now. The intercom faded out at Mrs Blanche's end, but not before we heard her say, What's wrong with a good old-fashioned shredder, I'd like to know? 